Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week 10 saw number 23 James Madison move to 9-0 in dominant fashion. Coastal Carolina and Texas State become bowl eligible and brought much-needed clarity to the Sunbelt West title race. Troy took home the belt for the sixth consecutive year in their Thursday night win over South Alabama. Arkansas State earned a statement win in Jonesboro in a game that Zeon Chris got injured for Louisiana. Southern Miss earned their first Sunbelt Conference win of the season, while App State put together their best performance of the season on the national stage on Saturday night. Today on episode 143 of the show, it's time for our Week 10 recap. We'll break down the biggest moments from the past week of Sunbelt football and begin talking about the important storylines as we turn the page to Week 11. Caden, this week seemed like pure chaos. We saw the depth of the conference fully showcased. We have nine teams who've secured or within a win of bowl eligibility through 10 weeks. What were your favorite parts about Week 10? Oh, man, no. My favorite parts were me being wrong. If anyone goes back to our preview episode, they'll see that I only got two picks right this week and the rest of them were wrong. But in this conference, I love being proved wrong. And I love that these teams in the month of November were seeing just absolute chaos. Like you said, we're seeing teams that we didn't think were going to be in bowl contention now getting there, pushing themselves towards there. We're seeing some contenders maybe taking a step back. And I think right now in the conference with three weeks left in the season, now it's just open season. I could see a lot of teams that we maybe not expect to go undefeated and maybe run the table, maybe go 0-3 to end the stretch. I feel like in this month now going forward, this was just the perfect weekend to start the most important week of football as we head up to these conference championship games. And I'm just really proud of really what I saw across the conference. I think a lot of teams, a lot of leagues just across all sports can say, oh, this is the kind of league where any team can be any team. Well, I think this weekend and going forward, the Sun is going to continue proving that every single team in this conference is going to have to be on their A game no matter who they're playing going forward. Yeah, Caden, 100% spot on right there. So much depth in this conference and, and so many good teams, quite frankly. There will be some teams at the end of the year that are going to be on the outside looking in despite having good seasons. Well, after a one-week hiatus, we're bringing the Sunbelt scoreboard back where I'll review all the results from around the conference in Week 10. Then Caden and I are going to take an in-depth look at some of the Sunbelt's top games from the weekend. Let's get started with Troy in South Alabama. This one took place in Troy, Alabama on Thursday night. Troy winning 28-10. to The Jags led 7-0 after the fourth first quarter, despite not having Carter Bradley. Gio Lopez, the young freshman, made his first start for South Alabama. Troy then scored 14 in the second quarter and never looked back. They held South Alabama out of the end zone for the final 55 minutes of this game. Kamani Vidal broke DeWitt Betterson's all-time rushing record. Cool moment. He actually made the drive down to give him the game ball. Gunnar Watson had another big game. Troy finished with 400 yards of offense and held South Alabama to 0 of 10 on third down. The Trojans now 7-2. and two. South Alabama 4-5. and five. They need a run to get to bowl eligibility. Arkansas State, Louisiana in Jonesboro. Louisiana 9-point favorite. They go on to lose this one by 20. Probably the most surprising result of the weekend. Arkansas State led 20-10 to 10 at the half after rushing touchdowns by Jalen Rayner and Zach Wallace, along with two field goals from Dominic Zavada. Louisiana got to within three in the third quarter, but A-State responded with 17 unanswered points to win. Zeon Chris did leave this game in the fourth quarter or with a broken fibula. He was replaced, re- replaced rather by Chandler Fields, who will probably be the starter the rest of the way. The Red Wolves held the league's best rushing offense to 64 yards while rushing for 232 yards of their own in the win. Both of these teams, Arkansas State and Louisiana, now four, five and four on the season. 
Georgia State, James Madison in Atlanta. The Dukes were a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. They won this one 42-14 to improve to 9-0. Another dominant JMU performance. Georgia State and JMU traded touchdowns in the first half. They went into halftime with JMU leading 14-7. The Dukes responding in the third quarter, scoring 14 straight on touchdown catches from Lawton and Horton. GSU would cut back into that JMU lead on a 58-yard touchdown run from Darren Granger, part of 103 yards on the ground for him on the day. But Jordan McLeod sealed the deal with his fifth and sixth touchdowns in the fourth quarter. JMU had 25 more minutes of total possession, and they walked away with the win. Georgia State dropping to 6-3 and three now on the season. Old Dominion, Coastal Carolina, and Norfolk. Uh, it was a loss for the Monarchs, who came in as a, a one-point underdog. They lost by four. Best game of the weekend, in my opinion, Caden ODU led 7-6 to six at the half. Uh, second half of this game, we saw 39 combined points. ODU jumped to a 21-6 lead out of the half on two third-quarter passing touchdowns by Grant Wilson. But it was Ethan Vasco and Coastal that stormed back a 75-yard rushing touchdown from the Norfolk native. Vasco lit a fire under Coastal, who scored 21 of the last 24 points, including Pickney's touchdown grab with 23 seconds left to come from behind and win in a game that Coastal had 458 yards of offense with their third-string quarterback, Coastal Carolina bowling for the fourth straight year, Old Dominion falling to four and five. They're going to have to win two of their final three to get into a bowl game. Southern Miss ULM in Hattiesburg. Southern Miss a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They would go on to win this one by 17. First Sunbelt win of the year for Southern Miss. After an early interception from ULM, they broke out a massive trick play. We saw... Pittman connect with Latrell Jones for 38 yards to open the scoring, and they never looked back. They would go on to add an 80-yard touchdown throw to Caston on the next drive and led 17-0 at the half. Frank Gore had another rushing touchdown in his second straight 100-plus yard game. Southern Miss rolled to a win behind a defense that allowed just 260 yards of offense on the day. Southern Miss now 2-7 and seven on the season. ULM falling to 2-7. and seven. They've lost seven straight after the 2-0 beginning to the year. Texas State, Georgia Southern, and San Marcos. The Eagles came in a two-point favorite. They would lose this one by 21. Texas State was playing for bowl eligibility. Georgia Southern would lead 10-7 to after one quarter. Thanks to some strong play from Jalen White, who had 159 yards and two touchdowns on the day. TJ Finley, though, it was his show after that. Four touchdowns, including two passing, two rushing in the next two quarters. Part of a five-total touchdown day for Finley. Davis Brin couldn't get it going against Texas State's defense, who held him to 195 yards in the air. It was actually the second lowest total in the Clay Helton era. They forced two turnovers and held Georgia Southern to four of 10 on third down. The night would end with G.J. Kinney and company jumping in the river to celebrate bowl eligibility. Texas State will play in their first bowl game in program history come December. App State Marshall in Boone, the Mountaineers, Kane, and you picked against them. They were a three and a half point favorite here. They came away with a resounding 22-point win, a statement win for the Mountaineers. Neither team scored in the first quarter. Marshall scored in the second quarter on an early field goal to take the lead. But then it was Joey time. Aguilar threw for two touchdowns in the second quarter, one to Robinson, one to Hetzel. Milan Tucker ran in for a score. They led 21-3 to at the half. Aguilar would complete another touchdown throw to Jackson in the third quarter, part of a 226-yard and three-touchdown performance for Joey. The defense forced three turnovers and allowed just 243 yards to a Marshall offense that now has just one offensive touchdown in their last four games. The Mountaineers now 5-4, and four, Marshall 4-5. Four and five. They've lost five straight after starting the year 4-0. and oh. 
Couple of quick notes, Kane. James Madison 9-0 remains undefeated with a win over Old Dominion. They're now one of seven remaining undefeated teams at the FBS level after Air Force loss and one of two in the group of five, the only other Liberty. Coastal Carolina for the fourth straight year and Texas State for the first time in program history are going to bowl season. We now have five bowl eligible teams in the Sun Belt plus JMU if you, you know, there aren't enough bowl teams. Louisiana, App State, and Arkansas State can all become bowl eligible with wins in week 11. Caden, if you were a better, five of the teams that were favored secured wins. Only Louisiana, a nine-point favorite in Georgia Southern, a two-point favorite, failed to secure wins despite being favored in Week 10. Great weekend, Caden. Let's jump into some of these matchups. We will go ahead and get started with Coastal Carolina, Old Dominion, a game that the Shawnee Clears came from behind to win 28-24. to Coastal Carolina, bowl eligible now for the fourth year in a row, the first time under new head coach Tim Beck. First win over Old Dominion in program history. They were 0-2 prior to Week 10. Sam Pinckney tied the FBS record with a catch in his 54th straight game. Also had the game-winning touchdown grab in the fourth quarter. Caden, this was billed as our game of the week. It delivered. This game was a back-and-forth slugfest that saw ODU lead at the half. They took a 21-6 lead in the third quarter, but then Coastal scores three touchdowns in the final 17 minutes to win. Caden, we learned a ton about these two teams in this game. Yeah, and just credit to these two teams for really living up to our game of the week hype. I feel like there was a lot of talented teams, like per usual in this conference, that give us great matchups to pick from. But I think this one, we picked it because it was so evenly matched. It lived up to the bill, and it was one of those games where a lot of these games were on television at the same time, and I couldn't help but keep this one on, especially in the second half. But you have to give credit for both teams for showing so much grit in this one. I mean, it was an absolute dog fight throughout in a fantastic game. I think Old Dominion as a whole really has figured it out, man. I think their offensive attack every single game, they're going to score three touchdowns. It seems like what's going to happen every week, just given their scheme and their defense is going to make it very hard for you to score three times. They're going to make you earn it. So I think that seems to be the nature of the beast for Old Dominion that keeps all their game close games close lately. It's always been in the twenties and you just kind of have to like what you've seen from them. You saw the 173 yards on the ground per usual, them running the ball with a performance from Obi Sani that led them. That was very unexpected from them. Grant Wilson, again, building on his impressive resume that he keeps building in the last couple of weeks. He had one touchdown against App State, two against James Madison, and three against Coastal Carolina in this game. And none of them, there were interceptions, and which was a huge problem for him early in the season. And I feel like this Old Dominion team has just figured out on both sides of the ball how to play with continuity, how to limit the scoring but keep their own scoring up and really make it a challenging place to play, a challenging team to play. And you just have to credit their new coaches and their staff and their players now for executing at this clip. But their defense, their, both defenses in this game played fantastic on third down in particular, but you have to give your hat off and tip your cat off to Coastal Carolina for their defense really keeping them in this game. Their offense was just running the ball constantly in this game, never seemed out of it, was just always staying in the mix and then eventually striking late to win this game and pull off a much-needed win for Coastal Carolina. So just a great battle from both teams. I feel like we both now, we know now from both teams that they're battle-tested. They can go toe-to-toe with anybody when it comes to the second half, the third quarter, and fourth quarter. These teams can play their best, best football now going forward in the month of November when it's going to matter most. Coastal Carolina, Kane, they certainly hurt themselves a little bit early on in the season with losses to Georgia Southern and Georgia State, but don't look now. The Shants right back in the title conversation. For the third straight week, Coastal Carolina had a different starting quarterback. Grayson McCall was out again. Jarrett Guest didn't play after his big performance last week. In steps Ethan Vasco, who grew up just 10 minutes from Old Dominion. He transfers from Kansas to Coastal Carolina in the offseason. Kane, in that 75-yard touchdown run in the third quarter, it woke Coastal up. He finished with 170 yards rushing on the day. He also threw for 180 as a part of a 350-yard total offensive performance in two touchdowns for him. 
in his first coastal start. Kane, the shots continue to show an ability to adapt and succeed that should have their remaining opponents a little bit nervous. For sure, no. And we've talked in depth on this podcast about the offensive adaptability and chameleon aspect that Troy has. But I think the fact that Coastal Carolina now has won three consecutive games with three different quarterbacks who all play three different styles of football is just an absolute offensive achievement. And it's huge for this team, especially as you mentioned, starting the season off 0-2 in conference play with losses to Georgia State and Georgia, Georgia Southern. Now this team has rallied with four straight conference wins and they've all looked a little bit different thanks to who's playing quarterback for them. I mean, Coastal's rushing attack kept this team afloat i mentioned in the past that against georgia state and georgia southern i liked what i saw from the run game but in the now in the last four weeks we've seen this team really been able to put the run game together completely and have it keep them afloat especially in this matchup it's always been good and it always will be good to have a run game that's reliable when you have your third string quarterback in who's not necessarily as proficient as your other two quarterbacks at throwing the ball the run game is even more significant it's even more important and we saw that in this game with vasco even contributing to the run game with his legs as well, ending this game as the team's leading rusher. So I think in this one, you have to credit the run game for just allowing this team to kind of dominate the time of possession, keep Old Dominion off of the scoreboard for the most part, and then striking when it matters most. You mentioned that 75-yard touchdown run. I have to just be honest, Ethan Vasco did miss some throws early in this game, but that touchdown run, like you mentioned, gave this team new life, new energy. They were able to use that and propel that in this fourth quarter to ultimately get a huge win for this team. Coastal Carolina returns home to face Texas State, who's 6-3, and three. Coming off that 45-24 win over Georgia Southern, it'll be a battle of two bowl-eligible teams in Conway in Week 11. Old Dominion, they will head to Lynchburg, Virginia to face undefeated Liberty, who's 9-0 coming off of a 56-30 win over Louisiana Tech in Week 10. The Monarchs gain. How much fun would it be to watch them unseat the Flames in that game? We move on to our second matchup. This is Texas State-Georgia Southern. Texas State winning 45 to 24 over the Eagles. They earned their first bowl appearance in program history. They had been eligible twice before, but passed over both times. They snapped a five-game losing streak to Georgia Southern, dating back to 2014. And the win represented the largest margin of victory over a Sunbelt opponent at home in the program's time in the league. Caden, this was the most complete game that we've seen from Texas State since arguably week one, in my opinion, versus Baylor. We saw a great bounce back after the Troy loss the week prior. They're going bowling for the first time in program history. This was a dominant and meaningful performance for this program. The night ended with a jump into the river. What a time to be a Bobcat fan. What a time to be a Bobcat fan and what a time to just be in San Marcos. This is obviously a special moment that has kind of culminated throughout the whole season. I remember our offseason conversation with Kev Chardillo where he was talking about there's a chance that this team might be special this year, that something could be special brewing in San Marcos. And now we've seen it all come together in this meaningful, impactful, dominant win for them that ended with Kev Chardello also jumping into the pond himself. So that was just an awesome moment, I think, overall, just for everyone who is involved with the program. And you have to give credit to G.J. Kinney. For leading this program and you have to give credit in this game to tj finley i mean he's an absolute star he really balled out in this game you saw him getting it done with his arm you saw him getting it done with his legs and i think ismail mahdi obviously gets a ton of credit for what he does in the run game and they deserve he deserves all of that credit for sure but i want to give a shout out to denario davenport their backup running back who looked amazing in this game has always impressed whenever he gets double digit carries and i think them as a duo was really able to keep Southern's offense off of the field the entire time. They dominated the time of possession in this game because they were able to run the ball so consistently. And when we get to Louisiana's poor rushing performance and the great rushing performance we saw from Texas State, 
Don't blink now, but this Bobcats team now leads the conference in rushing yards per game to go along with their potent offensive attack through the air. So Joey Hobart obviously had a great game in this one as well. He's going to deserve all conference recognition. And I think as a whole for this Texas State program, like you mentioned, this is just their most complete performance we've seen since earlier in the season. They've had moments of greatness in quarters. They've had moments of greatness in halves, but then they've also had those same moments where they've shown some mediocrity, especially in the second half. But this game was just their most absolute complete performance from an offensive and defensive perspective. Their defense rose to the occasion huge in this one. They played great on third down. You have to give credit to their secondary. They clearly look prepared from going against a ton of good receivers and a good quarterback every single week in this game when they hold when they held a passer now to under 200 yards for just the second time in the Clay Heldon era. So huge shout out to this team, this program, for really rallying this entire season, believing in themselves and just executing and kind of showing us what we thought they were going to be capable of maybe in the beginning of the season against Baylor, but really putting it on display in their most impressive conference performance of the year by far. Okay, and you mentioned Joey Hobart and, and deserving of all-conference recognition. The battle for first-team all-conference at the wide receiver position is going to be so tough this season. Let's talk Georgia Southern, who continues to be an interesting team. At times, they've looked dominant. Just ask Georgia State. Other times, James Madison, Texas State, et cetera, they don't look good at all. Caden, they had nine fewer minutes of possession. They go four of 10 on third down, 0 of two on fourth down. They turn the ball over two times. What do you make of what we're seeing from Georgia Southern on the road right now? They're definitely going to have to improve on the road for sure because we know their last slate of their schedule is predicated on a lot of road wins. They're only going to be back playing a home game one more time this entire season. But we saw in the Wisconsin and JMU losses for this team that they were beat with physicality and turnovers. It was very clear that they couldn't hold up up front. They were just being disruptive. And as a result, Georgia Southern's offense was disrupted and their defense didn't have any answers for the offense they were playing. But I think in this game, this is the first time we've really seen this team kind of just lose straight up. Their defense looks reminiscent more of the defense we saw from last season versus the improvement we saw against Georgia State. And they just could not slow down the run game of Texas State. And as a result, their pass game was super open from that. And they got dominated in the time of possession and had to play catch up throughout the game. You would think a Georgia Southern team is built to play catch up, but you just it's harder to catch up when you're not on the field as much. This team, like you mentioned, went four to ten, four for ten on third down, only converted converted zero fourth downs in this game. Their wideouts couldn't quite get the separation they're used to. Jalen White was effective in this game, but once you're down, you can't use Jalen White as much as you want to when you have to throw and the defense knows you're throwing and they can be effective. That puts you in a compromising position and one that we really haven't seen this Georgia Southern team in all season. So I feel like for them, they're going to have to figure out individually with their matchups, with their players, especially their skill players who had a big impact in this game on both sides of the ball, what it's going to take if they have another Texas State-esque performance going against them moving forward. I still like this Eagles team going forward the rest of the season, but they definitely are going to have some big road tests and some things to figure out following this tough, tough loss. You speak of big road tests. They will, again, look to regroup against a low-scoring Marshall team who's lost five in a row, uh, coming off of a 31-9 loss to App State. They'll look to further solidify themselves as the East favorite. Meanwhile, Texas State travels to the East Coast. They'll face Coastal Carolina, who's 6-3, and coming off that 28-24 win over Old Dominion in Week 10, a matchup pitting the league's two newest head coaches. Caden, I'm going to give a spoiler. That's going to be our game of the week uh, this coming week. Let's move on. Third matchup between 23rd-ranked James Madison and Georgia State. The Dukes winning 42-14 to over Georgia State. Kane, James Madison is one of just seven remaining undefeated after Air Force loss. They remained perfect in the series against Georgia State all-time, now 3-0. and Outscored Georgia State 28-7 to in the second half, and McLeod accounted for 400 or more yards and six total touchdowns for the second time this season. Kaden, let's talk about Jordan McLeod. What a journey it's been from 
losing the starting job to now maybe the favorite, in my opinion, for Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year. What a year for Jordan, his third 300-plus yard passing game of the year, second game accounting for over 400 yards of total offense. He has three or more passing touchdowns in five of his last six games. His second game this year accounting for six total touchdowns. Caden, I'd call that a heck of a birthday present for McLeod, who turned 24 on, on Saturday. An amazing performance for McLeod, for sure. He's definitely officially arrived. If you hadn't thought he arrived already, he officially arrived in this game. And I feel like we've obviously been talking in this JMU defense gets a lot of credit for this team's success. And it almost makes McLeod and the offensive effort kind of get pushed under the rug a little bit. But going up against another dual threat quarterback, one that maybe some regard as a better dual threat quarterback, he showed that he is the alpha in this situation and on this team for their offense and the engine that keeps them going. I mean, his stat line was amazing. You talk about him being able to be just as effective with his arm as his legs in this game. He leads this team in rushing now in this game. And I think it's just a, it's just a real, a true testament to his growth in this program and just their ability to develop quarterbacks. Just what we saw from the beginning of the season versus right now is night and day. And I think as an offense now, their coordinator is just really dialing things up and has Jordan in his ultimate level of comfort. And they're at their ultimate level of efficiency. I mean, they're, I think compared to any other offense in the league, we have we obviously have the high-flying attacks of Georgia Southern and Texas State. But when it comes to consistently getting their skill players in positions where they're in space and they have room to operate and room to score and room to get yardage, this offense does it like no other. I mean, they get their running backs involved early and often. Jordan McLeod in this game as well with his legs, like you mentioned, to where you have to deal with the run game all day. But with the pass game, the running backs are going to get out in the flats. They're going to get out and be involved in the passing game and really test the edges of your defense and make you have to worry about things kind of east and west. And then you blink and you have Elijah Surratt or you have a, a Brown going over the top and scoring touchdowns just when you get distracted and lulled by that run game. Zach Horton's an amazing weapon for this offense. He had two touchdowns in this game and it's just a versatile piece that can get it done in the block game, in the pass game, in the run game. He's just a, a kind of slept on an unexpectedly slept on player. I feel like in this conference that has a huge impact on this offense. And I think just as a whole, we know we talk a ton about the dominant JMU defense. And of course they were dominant in this game, but I think it's now time to start giving more flowers to this offense. And they really showed what they're capable of and what their full peak of their powers looks like in conference play in Atlanta this weekend. Okay. And I have to imagine if you were a player, this would be the type of offense that would have given you some nightmares with how effective James Madison's been. Caden, speaking about Georgia State, now two straight losses. Neither have been particularly close. They lost 44-27 to two weeks ago in the midweek to Georgia Southern. They've lost the these last two games by a combined 45 points. What's been the problem in Atlanta, Cato? I don't know, but I continue to think it has more to do with kind of the neck up versus their play of this team. I mean, Coach Elliott expressed some severe disappointment after the game in his press conference from the fight that he saw from his team, especially in the second half, and he harped on just not playing well and not rising to the occasion against an undefeated James Madison team at home. It's a very intimidating thing to play an undefeated team, like I've mentioned before, but you do have to give it your best effort. If you don't do that for four quarters, you're not going to get that at all. In the first half, we saw them hanging right there with James Madison. They were only down a touchdown. Both teams tried to kick field goals, and they both got doinked off of the post. So this was a seemed like a game in the first half that was going to stay close. James Madison just looked like they were a little bit more prepared to kind of sustain plays and put plays together. Georgia State was showing flashes of greatness. You saw Darren Granger able to run in a touchdown, but they were just never really able to put it all together in the first half, and you were hoping coming out of halftime they'd be able to put it together. But in the second half, they just absolutely did not look like themselves. They did not look like the team that started the year undefeated, and now we've seen that a couple weeks in a row. They had no second half 
against James Madison. They had no first half against Georgia Southern. They really only had the second quarter against Louisiana when you look at their last three matchups. So just incomplete performances by them, maybe some from Teague from the squad after starting the year so hot and maybe not being able to live up to that hype going forward. But I think if this team going forward this year can't show that same fight, that same dog, that same mentality we saw earlier in the year that really surprised us when we saw them performing great against teams like Coastal Carolina, then maybe we should be a little bit more worried as this final stretch of the season comes in November comes for this Georgia State team. Certainly a lot of questions down in Atlanta right now as they try to regroup for the home stretch of the year. James Madison looks to stay undefeated against UConn, Caden. They enter 1-8 and eight, uh, after Week 10. A good chance for JMU to move to 10-0 in front of a sold-out Bridgeport Stadium. Meanwhile, Georgia State will welcome App State, Caden, a game that I have the feeling you're probably going to be at. Uh, App State 5-4 and four, coming off of a 31-9 win over Marshall. Georgia State welcomes them to Atlanta as the Panthers look to pick up the first the program's first win over the Mountaineers. Moving on to our fourth matchup, this one took place uh, in the middle of the week on Thursday. Troy, South Alabama, the Trojans winning 28-10 over the Jags. Troy retaining the belt for the sixth consecutive year dating back to 2018. They moved to 9-3 all-time versus South Alabama. Kamani Vidal became the program's all-time leading rusher, passing to Whit Betterson, who was in attendance, and actually a cool moment presented him with the game ball in the locker room afterwards. Caden, it's hard to continually find words to describe Troy. They're now 19-4 and under John Summerall. This game was an example of another perfectly executed game plan, 400 yards of total offense, another 100-plus yard rushing game for Vidal. Gunnar Watson continues to prove that he is a top-five quarterback in this league. They held South Alabama to 0 of 10 on third down. Caden, it's not easy finding ways to describe how dominant Troy has been this season. It's not, but consistent is definitely one of the words you can use to describe it. I mean, they stumbled out of the gates in this one on a weekday game on a big stage. They had punts in three of their first four drives, and that fourth one was them having a fumble that was uncharacteristic of them that allowed them to spot South Alabama seven points to start off this game. But after that, this team was absolutely dominant on both sides of the ball. They completely controlled the game throughout with that run game of Kamani Vidal being consistent, continuing to be as dominant as he's been as he's now the second leading rusher in the entire nation. And that just allowed this team to methodically sustain drives, control the game, have the time of possession be dominated. And then as soon as they pass that 50-yard line, I don't know what they saw from South Alabama's secondary, but they saw that they loved what Chris Lewis was going to be able to do against them, and they loved that matchup, and they absolutely fed him. Only gets four catches in this game, but three of them are touchdowns. They were all contested catches inside of the end zone, and you can just tell that the level of trust that Gunnar Watson has in this guy is is just clearly well-warranted from the results he got from Chris Lewis in this game. Defensively, they look absolutely dominant. They took advantage of Carter Bradley not being in the lineup for this team. We mentioned them spotting those seven points early in the game, but after that, they were just in complete and utter control of this game. Really one of the most impressive defensive performance I've seen all season from any team in the conference. I know it was a backup quarterback they were going against, but holding any offense to just 0 for 10 on third down is just something that you don't see every day. You don't see a team go a whole entire game without converting a single third down, and that's just a credit to how good this defense is and how they continue to show that, hey, we know James Madison is the talk of the town. We know they're undefeated. We know we lost to them. When you look statistically week in and week out, this Troy defense is the best in the conference, and it looks like they have that chip on their shoulder every single game. Chris Lewis now leads the conference in receiving touchdowns. Vidal leads the conference in rushing yards, and Reddy Stewart leads them in interceptions. Everything went Troy's game way in this game. Looks like it's going to continue going that that way for the rest of the season and on to the conference championship again, just given what they've seen, what we know about them, and what they'll continue to show likely the rest of the year. 
Kane, I'll be honest, it felt like shades of Pittsburgh a little bit back when Kenny Pickett had Jordan Addison as a wide receiver and he would just say F it and he, you know, Addison's down there somewhere. Uh, that's what it kind of felt like with Watson and uh, Chris Lewis in this game. Kane, this plummet for Marshall, uh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but South Alabama drops to four and five, far cry from the preseason expectations. Caden, I'd say that their conference championship hopes are officially dead. Uh, they can still become a bowl eligible team by winning two of their last three games against Arkansas State, Marshall, and Texas State. But it's safe to say at this point that South Alabama has been one of the most disappointing teams in recent Sunbelt Conference memory. Yeah, especially just given the expectations we had for this team. I'm sure the expectations they had for their own team coming into the year as well. And really, it came down to these last two weeks. These weeks where they played Louisiana and Troy in a short week were kind of what we had circled. I'm sure what they had circled as far as the most important games of their season and what was going to really determine them making the conference championship or not. Now they have to rely on Troy losing a game, Louisiana continuing to plummet. And I think that's just something you can't bank on given the resume of what we've seen from those teams and really them holding up their own end of the bargain to finish the year the last three weeks. This team just hasn't been consistent enough all year to uphold that standard from last year and exceed that standard the way we thought they would this season. If you don't have Carter Bradley in the lineup, that's going to make it even harder going forward. I know he's fighting to play in this next game. It was clearly a problem and the biggest problem in this game. I mean, that we're going to give them a pass in this Troy game. This team, we cannot expect this offense and this entire team to be the same without Carter Bradley, just given their track record this year. We don't know many teams in the country that have that Coastal Carolina trait and how they can just roll out any quarterback and continue to win games. So they're going to have to get Carter back. They're going to have to find out how they want to finish this season if they want to have the pride and play with that chip on their shoulders still to fight and thug it out and make a bowl game, or if they're going to just lay down and show some more inconsistencies we saw earlier in the year. But as far as this team being my pick and my pick from the East, Marshall, it's been very disappointing for both of those squads for sure this year. Yeah, Kane, both of our preseason picks uh, have, have, haven't been very good so far, uh, maybe outside of Coastal Carolina. Caden Troy will head on the road to Louisiana where they'll face ULM, who's 2-7, and seven, doesn't have a Sunbelt Conference win this season. They can all but lock up the Sunbelt title West or Sunbelt title race in the West with a win. South Alabama will welcome Arkansas State, who's 5-4, and four, coming off of a 37-17 to 17 thumping of Louisiana in Week 10 to Mobile. The Jags probably need a win to keep their bowl hopes alive. We move on to the game that I tried to jump ahead and talk about a few moments ago, but Caden, I know this one has you excited. App State 31, Marshall 9. App State secured their second win in the last four meetings of the Old Mountain Feud, the first post-October home conference game at night since 1996. Caden, this was the third largest margin of victory in this series dating back to 1977, and it snaps a five-game streak of games being decided really in the closing seconds for App State. Caden, holy Appalachian State, after giving up a field goal to begin the second quarter, App State scored three straight touchdowns, two throws from Aguilar. We saw that rushing touchdown from Tucker on some trickeration. After that, they never really looked back. Joey Aguilar finished with three more touchdowns and 270 yards of offense. He now leads the Sunbelt Conference in passing touchdowns. Caden, he's 11 touchdowns to just one interception in his last four games. I feel like Joey Aguilar isn't getting enough credit for the season he's having, Caden. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with just how App State quarterbacks are defined, and they are defined about wins and losses. The stats are cool. If you look back at Chase Bryce's stats, Zach Thomas' stats, Taylor Lamb's stats, they've always been elite. They've always lived up to that expectation as far as what their performance is going to be and how efficient the offense can be. But when you put wins to it, that's when it starts getting more weight and holding more weight, I think, for this App State program. And now that they've put together a couple wins consecutively, it's time for them to start giving Joey, Flow Joey his flowers. I think credit to this offense and credit to this defense as well. 
my biggest fear in this game is where they wouldn't be able to get out to a hot start. And as a result, Marshall will be able to hang around and lean on the run game in this one. But Marshall has not been able to play from behind all season, really. And you have to give credit for, to App State for getting out early and keeping their foot on the gas throughout the game. And Joey did have a huge part in that. He leads the conference now, as you mentioned, with 23 touchdown passes, which also ties for sixth in the nation nationally. He's only thrown one interception, like you mentioned, in the last four weeks. And it's really been something that was an early season issue for him that's now become a strength for him as you can rely on him to not turn the ball over, maximize the offense's potential. And if you get help from him like you did in the run game in this game and games prior, especially against Southern Miss before, you're going to see him be able to play to the full potential of his powers. His deep ball accuracy has been amazing this year. He kind of has that ability to where every time he throws the ball in the end zone, you think it's going to be a touchdown. And rightfully so. He's been confident. He's been mobile. And he's really been able to do it with a just a cast of wide receivers. No Christian Horn in this game after two touchdowns against Southern Miss. That was no problem for him. He finds Michael Hetzel, who's a walk-on, who started off at this, as, on, the, on this team as a walk-on, really worked for everything he had, was happy for him getting his first career touchdown. And same for Makai Jackson, finding him for his first touchdown of the season in this one. So Joey's going to not discriminate. He's going to throw it to everyone he possibly can, get all of his weapons involved. And it's really been paying off for this off-state offense that now just ranks second in the conference in points per game behind Texas State. Okay, and you got some flack on Twitter for picking against App State in this matchup. If I'm a Mountaineers fan at this point, I'm asking you to pick against the Mountaineers. You've got a pretty good track record doing that this year. They tend to respond. Caden, this plummet from Marshall is unprecedented. They were 4-0 after five weeks of the season. They've now lost five straight. They've had just one offensive touchdown in the last four games. Coach Huff is starting to get questions in postgame press conferences about changing coordinators. He said he wasn't planning to. Caden, this team falling off a cliff has left many of us scratching our heads. Yeah, it's definitely left me scratching my head as someone who picked this team to represent the East in the conference championship this year. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this team, we talked about it all offseason, is the reason why I picked them to come out of the East initially. I thought their formula was absolutely bulletproof given what we saw from them last year and what they have and brought back this season as far as their strength up front on the defensive line, their strength in the run game with our offensive lineman and Rasheen Ali. Cam Fancher hopefully taking a leap up from what we saw last year. And quite frankly, we haven't seen any of it. There's not really many areas of Marshall's game compared to last season. You can say they've taken a step ahead and they've taken a step back in every single department. And that is a warranted reason to call for maybe a different person calling plays on either side of the ball. But I think right now with Coach Huff and their system, they understand kind of some of the L's they're taking, they're understanding what's going wrong. And I feel like they think there's no reason for them to kind of switch up their identity, just going to put their head down put their heads down, work throughout the rest of the season, then maybe next year go back to the drawing board, look at their personnel and see if this is going to be their style. They'll continue playing as a program. But right now, this is just an unexpected slid from them. We did not expect for them to take this big of a step back. And I think there's so many different problems to fix that there isn't really a reason to kind of lean into one and fix it. They need to find out how to better protect their quarterback, how to get them their quarterbacks more experienced and more ready and more primed for games where they're going to have to throw the ball just because this team was so reliant on the run game. It was such a big part of their success in the past that when it was taken away from them, plus defenses giving up a ton of points that we're not expected to see from Marshall, it just puts a lot of pressure on that position specifically. You have road games like on the road against App State at night, just not a recipe for success compared to what we've seen from the past. So I think as far as this season goes with Marshall, I don't think we're going to see much different than what we've seen in this losing streak. But I think going forward next year, that's maybe when we can see maybe a difference and change in identity as far as their offense and defense and what works for them. Marshall still has a chance at a bowl game, but they're going to have to turn it around quickly. They host East Division favorite Georgia Southern, who's 6-3 and three coming off of that disappointing loss to Texas State. In Week 10, the Herd going to look to snap a five-game losing streak. Meanwhile, App State, Caden, heading down to Atlanta to face Georgia State, who's 6-3 and three coming off of a 42-14 to 14 loss to JMU. In Week 10, the Mountaineers will look to become 
bowl eligible after a one-year hiatus. Sixth matchup, Caden, Arkansas State 37, Louisiana 17, Arkansas State moving within a win of bowl eligibility, and they now lead the all-time series at home in Jonesboro 11-10. Just the second win for the program over Louisiana in the last eight matchups. We did get some unfortunate news that it does look like Zeon Chris is out for the year after he exited this game with what is being called a broken fibula at this point. Caden, this was a statement win for Arkansas State, and what a turnaround from the start of the season. There's a lot of Red Wolves fans that owe Butch Jones an apology at this point. They held the league's best rushing offense to a season worth 63 yards on the ground. They excelled on offense. Rayner had 247 yards of total offense and two touchdowns. They ran for 232 yards in this game. Caden, not many people thought Arkansas State had a shot at the bowl game this year, and now with three games to play, they do. I'll admittedly say I wasn't one of those people. No, I was one of the people that definitely doubted this Arkansas State team. So the fact that they're on the cusp of making a bowl game right now is, is just awesome to see them in Texas State putting themselves in these positions now to play in the postseason for the first time in a long time is definitely something to get excited about. And you have to give credit to the execution of this team on both sides of the ball. Just an absolutely complete statement win performance we mentioned in the preview of this episode of this game rather that they were going to have to stop the run if they wanted any chance of winning this game and they did that 64 rushing yards for this team is impressive really did a great job of containing Zeon Chris in this game this is probably one of his worst rushing performances of the game they didn't let Jacob Kadobe get on that second level and they didn't let Draylon Washington go in either when you have that many different rushing options and you can stalemate and just stop all of them Huge credit to their defense and their front seven for doing that. And as an offense, I mentioned more in the Coastal Carolina preview when we were talking about that game, but Arkansas State just had to do a better job on offense of sustaining drives, putting together long scoring drives, and not being able to rely on Jalen Rayner, just making big-time plays for them. And you saw that in their very first two drives of the game where they had two touchdown drives of 10 yards and 11 – or 10 plays and 11 plays, rather, in those drives. So right off the bat, you saw that this team was playing with a different level of offensive confidence, offensive energy. You even saw – two huge hits when they kicked the ball off and gave the ball to Louisiana by their special teams. It just looks like this team on an offense, defense, and special teams basis is really cooking on all cylinders. You have to tip your hat off to Jalen Rayner. I mean, the game he played, he didn't have any touchdowns through the air. He didn't dazzle you as much as he has in the past, but he was just so efficient and did a great job of moving the chains. I don't think there's many quarterbacks in this conference that can move the chains as consistently in the way he does. He seems like he has these third down plays where he's getting sacked. He might be out of it. He'll make someone miss, find his receiver, make the right decisions. He's a young quarterback that's continuing to grow you can tell he still wants to make those big plays he looks downfield deep he thinks about it all the time he wants to throw those deep passes but I was really impressed what he was able to do in the intermediate and short passing game to keep this this offense going keep these chains moving and you have to give a shout out to their their core running backs as well doing a great job of possessing the ball winning the time of possession and ultimately helping lead this team and kind of be that that flotation device if you will for their offense to keep them afloat this entire matchup one freshman quarterback having a big performance and looking to end the season on a strong note, Caden. But on the other side, in Lafayette, some heartbreaking news. Zion Chris presumably out for the season now. Reports are that he broke his fibula early in the fourth quarter. Caden, he has had one of the best freshman campaigns from a quarterback in recent Sunbelt Conference memory. Chandler Fields, for a second straight year, is stepping in late in the season, is presumably the guy the rest of the way. Ben Wooldridge is still out. Kane, what's the outlook, outlook rather in Lafayette moving forward? Yeah, no, it's tough times in, in Lafayette. And I think when you look at their last two seasons, they've just been riddled with injuries at the quarterback position, not just by one quarterback, but usually by two quarterbacks. And I think that's where you can kind of point to as far as some of the shortcomings they've had in the last two seasons, as far as offensive consistency and having the same quarterback 
play for you all season. We know in the beginning of the year, this team's run game was really big for them. But I think when you look at their success in the run game, it was just taken to another level when you had Zeon Chris at quarterback. It's predictable when you know you're going to keep handing it to your litany of, of running backs, your stable of running backs. They're going to be able to take care of business. But when you add a quarterback like Zeon, who adds that element to your game as well and keeps you on your toes as an entire defensive front, and then you have the pass game to come off of that and complement that, that just made this offense and this team so much more dangerous. And with him not in the lineup, they're going to have to revert back to some of their offense we've saw in the past earlier this season. Even a Ben Wooldridge when he was healthy for this team had an element to his legs. But I think with Chandler Fields as their quarterback, he's their least mobile. He has the, the least amount of that dynamic as far as running the ball or throwing the ball, running the ball, yes. But throwing the ball, he does have his abilities. He's shown that he could throw the ball, be capable, win games for this team in the past. It's just going to be a question of can they win kind of using that older formula we're used to seeing from them more last year that did get them to a bowl game versus this new formula where they just had a new, more exciting offense with Chris at the helm. Very curious to see how they go throughout the rest of the season, how their defense can maybe help out their offense as well with a new quarterback at the, at the helm. Caden, if you're Arkansas State, this feels like a sickos committee type of circle moment. Arkansas State facing South Alabama, who beat Oklahoma State, who beat Oklahoma, who Arkansas State lost to to open the year. The Red Wolves will have a real shot at becoming bowl eligible uh, in that game against South Alabama. Meanwhile, Louisiana will have a short week to lick their wounds, try to figure out their quarterback situation. They'll face Southern Miss, who earned their first Sunbelt Conference win versus ULM in Week 10 on Thursday night in Lafayette. Kane, this has been a marathon. We have reached the finish line. Matchup number seven, Southern Miss ULM. The Eagles winning 24 to, Golden Eagles rather, winning 24 to seven over ULM. Caden, Southern Miss earned their first win in Sunbelt play of the season. They did it, uh, and now they hold a 6-2 advantage in the all-time series. They've scored 62 points in their last two games, 52 in the previous three games. Southern Miss's offense is officially back, baby. As I've mentioned, they scored 62 points in the last two games, 52 in the previous three, including three versus South Alabama, 13 versus Old Dominion. Caden Frank Gore Jr. starting to find his groove again, 378 yards of rushing in his last two games. The change ultimately at coordinator was too late, but it's good to see Southern Miss finding their groove here late in the year. Yeah, it's definitely too late, but it's definitely someone who secured his job, I think, going forward. And I think it was one of the best decisions the Southern Miss team could have made as a program going forward this year. Their offense is definitely back right now. Given the competition they've been playing the last two weeks is, is something we can talk about another time. But I think there's no question that just compared to the beginning of the year, it's night and day what we've seen from this offense. Billy Wiles looks more confident than he has in the last two weeks than he looked the weeks prior, throwing for 200 yards in this game throwing for a touchdown pass in this game. And then Frank Gore Jr., as you mentioned, being back into the fold, having back-to-back dominant performances, getting back to the space and the place that we've seen him in the past and those expectations we had for him coming into the season as the conference's best running back. We finally got to see him on display. He really helps and does Billy Wiles a favor in the run game. And I think we're also just seeing new interesting wrinkles of this offense as they've now continued to try to finish the season strong. Ethan Crawford, the freshman quarterback, got a lot of reps in this game with his own little package, running the ball kind of like a super-esque wildcat type deal where he was able to move this chain, the chains for this team quite a bit and do some effective things with his legs. We saw Jacarius Kasten in the end zone yet again for the second consecutive week. I think the stock of this offense is definitely rising. It's rising quick. And you have to give credit to their new coordinator for kind of figuring things out and giving this team a new sense of life as they go out to finish the season, especially predicated on their offense. Okay. Meanwhile, Louisiana Monroe, they've lost another game thanks to more self-inflicted mistakes, 50 more penalty yards, four lost turnovers, more struggles at quarterback. Okay, and this ULM team just hasn't been very good this season, let's be honest. 
Yeah, they haven't been great, Noah. They showed a lot of good fight in this game and all of their games. Their effort has never been the question for this team. They're going to play hard. They're going to give you their best shot. But I think when it comes to giving shots, they shoot themselves more than the foot than anything. You can't turn the ball over four times in many games and expect to win the game. They try to give Blake Murphy the start in this one again, who showed some promise as a dual threat quarterback. And he turns the ball over for you and throws three interceptions in this game. Jaya Wright can never really get going only going five for 12 offensively in this game. Can't rush for 100 yards for another week. Found and did some good things in the passing game as far as getting a big play to Darian Wiley, finding Tyrone Howell a couple of times. But I think overall, this team just hasn't been able to put it together, whether it is execution or their players being put in positions to execute. I think when you look at this team, they have a lot of fight, especially on defense. They got off to a really rocky start, giving up 17 points in that fourth quarter. Then, But then they were able to put two scoreless quarters together in the kind of the, the, the middle act of this game, those second and third quarters. But I think for this team, it's just been about consistency. It's been about self-inflicted wounds. And I think the rest of the season, they just need to do their best to kind of figure out how to play their best brand of football. We know they have some tough matchups. They have some different positions to maybe steal a game. But I think... It's, it's going to be tough. Their best chance is going to be in that Louisiana game to close the season. You have to go to Troy. Now you have to play Ole Miss. Those are two games that are just not going to be easy for this team, and they're not going to be any easier if they continue to beat themselves. So I think from practice standpoint, just going forward with this team, their outlook, have to figure out how to limit turnovers, have to figure out how to limit their own penalties, and I think that'll just help them moving forward as a program in the future. Can ULM, who hasn't lost a game in cover, hasn't won a game in conference play, rather, Host East favorite Troy, who's 7-2, and two, coming off of that 18-point win over South Alabama in Week 11 in Monroe. Southern Miss looks to continue playing spoiler. They head to Lafayette for a Thursday night matchup with Louisiana, who's 5-4, and four, coming off of a 20-point loss to Arkansas State. Kane, we've got time for a quick closing thought on, on Week 10. Like I said in the beginning, just an amazing week that shows you the parody and unpredictability of this conference. And it just has me absolutely juiced, amped, excited, whatever word you want to use for it. The closing of this season, the most important time of the year, the last three weeks of the season leading up to conference play. I think this conference, more than any other conference, has the most just ability to show you that, hey, we have we have a deep conference. Anyone can come out of it. I'm really excited particularly watch the East where we have now three teams with two losses in conference play. Who would have thought Marshall would be one and four looking from the outside in this conference, but all those teams above them now have a shot to really do some damage. And everyone else in the West now is going to try to keep up with Troy. We have a lot of teams that are fighting for bowl eligibility, fighting for a lot. So I'm just really excited to now watch this conference who's shown us, hey, we have the most talent, I think, top to bottom than a lot of teams as far as competitiveness. Who's going to be the most competitive in these last three weeks of the season and really be able to make some noise? I think some teams' record might not be reflected at the end of the year of how good they are and vice versa. But I think that's just going to be a nature of the beast for this year. And I just hope we can see as many of these teams be successful as they can heading into bowl season and heading into this postseason. Well, that's going to do it for our Week 10 recap on the Furry and Smith podcast. November arrived with a bang and provided plenty of chaos to the Sunbelt title races. Before you go, here's a quick reminder that we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be releasing our latest student-athlete interview featuring Louisiana running back Jacob Cabote ahead of the Louisiana and Southern Miss midweek matchup on Thursday. You're not going to want to miss that interview. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing. Share this podcast with one, two, or even three of your friends. Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.